1: New headsets. (laughs) Big day in the podcast world. You never thought this day would come.
2: And yet here we are. Welcome to NASCAR America Debrief. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This is where we break down what we just talked about on NASCAR America. And one of the guys on NASCAR America tonight was Steve with Tart. Nice hey, before you, you get into the debrief, <laughs> yes, I want the people to know that I said I
1: would never right. do another podcast in studio. I'm making an exception because you get these snazzy new headsets, which are outstanding. Which you lobbied for. I give you some credit was some making this happen. Guys, if you knew what he was using for equipment, you can't believe you. I mean, you might as well have become my carrier pigeon. People like those mics, though. Those mics look cool, right? Yeah, they look cool, but come on, man. <laughs> so that's it. I'm making the exception to be back in studio
2: because of the headset this is more like what you're gonna be wearing this weekend i, I it, know right? i
1: feel like i feel like you gave me this headset specifically to make sure i had my stuff in order to go to chicago
2: i'm waiting for marvin you guys don't know who
1: marvin is but matt marvin's our producer i'm waiting for him to come in the other ear and be like we're we'll going to commercial in
2: 10 <laughs> 9 like right in the middle of my thought like i had you know like wrap it up because i was just thinking about this like y- you guys wear the headsets during the race and then have the mics during pre race. Is that Correct. how that works? Okay. Mics are only only for pre race. They don't want these other foamy mics in front of our pretty faces. They want us to have
1: the ones with, right. the, with the little uh, flag on them.
2: Can't cover that up, especially now that you have a new fourth member joining. I keep you hearing there's Allen a fourth member. Burton. I
1: don't. I don't know. Did you see my tweet the other day? So Rick Allen, I'm gonna tell the world. So Rick Allen tweeted, be like, I can't wait to go back in the booth with Steve, Jeff, and our new guy Dale Jr. And I said, new guy who? And then Dale tweeted me back the picture of Forrest Gump waving. Did you see that? (laughs) I didn't see that one. He was like, me,
2: me, (laughs) with the Forrest Gump
1: waving. It was outstanding.
2: He's going to do great. You guys are going to do great. We're all very excited to see how things go this weekend at Chicagoland Speedway. Let's start with something Dale Jr. said, actually, on NASCAR America's TV. He was doing this thing with Ryan Blaney. Dale Jr. was on a tour of New York today, and uh, Ryan Blaney was one of the people to talk to. And he was talking about how he was a little bit weirded out that someday he might be asked— by the uh, NASCAR NBC production crew to go do an interview with a driver such as Ryan Blaney. He said that might be a little bit weird. So I'm wondering for you, I've asked Dale Jarrett on this podcast this before, when you switched over from being in the garage for almost 20 years to being on this side of the fence, did you go and talk to other crew chiefs and feel them out and kind of warn them? You didn't. This is did why you? I think it's funny. It was Dale Jr. I had my first sit-down
1: interview with, with Dale Jr., and it was weird. But it was fun to do, but it was weird. No, you know... I just bebop in and start talking to him. You know me. I, 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 I've I'm never really met a stranger. Let's go all the way back to year one. The first time I rolled up into a Penske truck, Paul Wolf and I are friends, but I remember pe- Paul's instant look was kind of like, what in beep, 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 beep are you doing in my truck? <laughs> and then instantly I could see that go to, oh yeah. Oh he wait. works for the TV yeah, folks He's not now. the enemy anymore. Right. But for uh, the most like part. Like for that maybe 15 seconds, I thought Paul Wolf was going to throw down on me. <laughs> And I was and I was worried because he's in pretty good shape. I'm like, this is going to be bad. What am I
2: going to do? Are there like unwritten rules there? The crew chiefs never step into the You, uh, you would holler? you would knock, crack the door open. Hey, is Paul there? Oh yeah, come on up. You, yeah, you yeah. would never just whoosh, right yeah. up in the
1: holler. Right. Yeah, oh, yeah. That's not. A, yeah, that would be grounds for a butt kicking. So you know. So but so but I was a TV guy, so I kind of opened the door and walked up in. I was talking to his truck driver a little bit, and he was cool made a cup of coffee, and then I took a couple more steps towards the lounge, and he came down, and it was this awkward moment of, man, I'm, I, I don't want to burn you with this coffee, but if it's my only defense, I'm going to throw it on you and run if you're going <laughs> to try to come after me. And then we kind of laughed about it, and he invited me up in the lounge, and, and you know, but it t- it is taken, you know, when your identity is that as a crew chief, it takes a long time for those guys to see you as something different. Now when they see me, they come right over, they talk, they're great, but, you know, with technology, what I've learned is, as silly as this may sound, I try not to go in the garage and bother them because the schedules are really getting condensed and the drivers and crew chiefs are busy. But I send a lot of text messages. And I know that sounds impersonal, but it's it's a polite way of saying, hey, when you have time, please respond. I'd like to know X, Y, and Z about
2: something. And, and they're all very uh, good about accommodating. Your advice to Dale Jr., though, for the most part, would be you can't worry <laughs> – too much about how these guys perceive you because if you're doing the job right and you're being honest and you're being truthful, feelings are probably gonna get hurt. Right? Man,
1: I work for the fans, I don't work for the drivers and crew chiefs.
2: Right. I have a responsibility to the drivers and crew
1: chiefs to portray it accurately, fairly, and do my homework. But that's where it ends. And there will be, I can assure Dale Jr. that someone will text me and says, Man, I can't believe you said X. <laughs> And you just have to be honest to yourself because that's the only good defense to those statements is, well, this is what I saw and this is what I saw.
2: Yeah, this is what I believe. And if that upsets you, then I'm sorry, but people's feelings are going to get hurt when you tell them the truth.
1: I've learned most people in the garage area, even if they don't like what you have to say, if you can defend it with some sort of fact or preparation, they appreciate your effort into covering the sport. And, and that's. That's good enough for me.
2: What about the media side of it? Because Dale Jr. was sort of bringing up an interesting point when he was telling Blaney, like, doing an interview with you will be a little bit weird. You know, and Blaney was like, yeah, I'm not answering any dumb questions. Every question's got to be spot You know what the media's job is because you'd been interviewed countless times before you stepped into this role, but you'd never been the interviewer. You'd always been the interviewee. What's it like switching roles? So, you know, the advantage I have is we have someone like you. You are a
1: journalist not just a media member, a true journalist. So you go out, you uncover stories, you report on stories. You, What I've learned from you is that you a- attack a story with a journalistic integrity and responsibility of not letting anyone, any person, any organization, any sponsor get in the way of the story that should be covered. That allows me to be the fluffy analyst <laughs> In the distance. So, uh-huh. I am the journalist during the race. When a crew chief makes a bad call, man, I'm the guy. Bad call. But sit-down interviews, we're going to talk about reflecting, right. ideas, thoughts. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not here to break news. I'm not here to judge them. When I sit, you know, so I wear two hats. You are a journalist and also a reporter and also an analyst. I am an analyst Never really a reporter. you know, I'm more of an analyst, and then when I sit across from them, I'm an interviewer. but that's really it. I know that sounds silly, but you you know what I mean like what you when mean. I sit across from them, it was with no prejudice or opinion of where this goes. i don't I don't care their answers. There's no right or wrong. I feel like I am sitting there and my role is to be Joe Smith from North Dakota. If he had a chance to sit down, would Dale Hart Jr. or Kevin Harvick or Jimmy Johnson, what would Joe Smith want to know? And that's all I
2: did. Yeah. I'm just trying to be Joe Smith's voice. I get where you're coming from on that, and I respect it very much, the, the insight and the, and the viewpoint. But I will say that when I think about you doing sit-downs, one of the first ones that comes to mind is the one you did with Dale Jr. in 2016 when he would announced he was out for the rest of the year uh, with the uh, concussion symptoms. I think it was right before Richmond. And that did require you to be a little bit probing. And you did a great job with it. I understand what you mean. For the most part, what you do is uh, kind of more fluffy and is more about, like, I'm not going to put these guys in awkward positions. But that time, you interviewed your best friend and had to elicit some information about what he was going through. And you did a really good job with it. But, But I probed with curiosity at stake. You know, there's a difference between I'm going to benefit
0: off
1: your anxiety, stress, or breaking of news. That wasn't it. Yeah. It was more of, hey, man. Whether you know it or don't know it, I feel, as the most popular driver in NASCAR, with an Allegiant fan base, I feel you owe us a little something here. So I felt like I was doing the duty of the race fan. So it was a, a polite probing of, hey, man, I know what you've said, but we need a little more. I mean, yeah. come on. Like, like we we love you. You're Dale Jr. We want you to be our... We want to be a fan of Dale Jr. Yeah. But you got to give me more. And that's really kind of how I sit down with all of these drivers and crew chiefs, you yeah. know, is is... If I have a chance to sit down with Kyle Bush, that's somebody I'd love to sit down with. That's a driver I've never got a chance to work with. Somebody I, it reminds me of and the type of driver I would love to work with. I admire his tenacity and blinders he's able to put on at right. the task at hand. So so my point is I'm gonna sit there. Now I wouldn't always be nice to him, but I would I would probe him for the good information.
2: You'd want to talk to Kyle Bush because he's kinda got that cold blooded the bedside oh, yeah. manner that's a little bit similar to the guy from Maine who's here's i I'm just gonna be blunt and get right to the point, and we're going to get answers. And, I'm going to tell you, like, yeah. listen, if anybody can hear that cough drop I just put in rattling in my
1: teeth, I want you to know that it's either that or a bunch of hacking and coughing.
2: He sounds a lot better than he did a couple of days ago, by the so, way. Everybody.
1: So, yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated by people. I love people. So I work in the sports arena, so most everybody I talk to or talk about are athletes. I think I would have the same fascination of non-athletes if I had the opportunity to sit down with them. I'm fascinated by people like – They all have a story and what motivates them and and you're writing that book forced me to ask myself what motivated me. And man, I like I would love to sit down. Ryan Blaney is a cool customer. But like I wanna I wanna peel some layers back of the onion. You know? Like like his dad is the Buckeye bullet. Right. He's the man. His sisters, it's just his family, right? Chase Elliott, the same thing. Yet, they're so quiet, and it's just their personality. They don't try to hide. It's just who they are, you know? I just, I love people. I love trying to get to know people, mm-hmm. and that's why I like interviewing, and, and it's it's um, something I sucked at when I went to television, and I'm barely above not being good at it now.
2: Hey, it's hard, man. It I'll is
1: hard, but, you know, I, so I watch people like David Faraday. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed David Faraday's conversations. He's great. You know, and that's what I want to be, right? I don't want to be a a news reporter or a, you know, I want to be the fun interviewer that is so much fun you don't realize you just told us something that you've not told anyone.
2: Because it just seems like a conversation. Like, Like with today, Dale Jr. and Dan Patrick. I don't know how many times Dale Jr. has been on Dan Patrick, but every time he's on there, it's like they're just two buddies having a beer. Dan Patrick is outstanding because, you know, if
1: you do your job correctly, you don't know you're being interviewed you're truly having a conversation. You forget about the lights and the camera and the microphone and you, you know and that's great stuff.
2: So we got into a points discussion on NASCAR America today Steve and you had an interesting theory that you believe Jamie McMurray who Jamie is Jamie Mac
1: Jamie don't let me down.
2: 79 points off the cut line right now for the playoffs. Yep. 79 points out in 21st, which means he has five drivers between him And the spot he needs to be in. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm going to tweet that when I leave here. I'm going to say, at Jamie McMurray, don't let me down. You're the man. You're playoff bound.
2: (laughs) So he can make up 79
1: points. You want to do a little (laughs) math? 7.9. 7.9.
2: A race. I like numbers. You want numbers? I've done the research. You want numbers? I do. You know I love your numbers. Okay. Well, here you go. 16th in points.
1: Okay. Is the 88 of Alex Bowman. Right. He has averaged 22 points a race, roughly. 22 points is not that much. You can almost earn that in stages. Jamie Mack had a rough start. Career rough start. But I'm going to go see him in Chicago, and I'm going to tell him, listen, man, I'm going to pep talk. No pressure. I'm not going to put pressure on him and say, hey, listen. No, because because I've been this guy, right? I'm going to say, hey, listen, I know you can't see the forest through the trees. I know you're in this car every week, and it seems like it's never going to get any better. Right. But for at least my sake, I want you to go get up in the morning. I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to say, man, I've won the big races. I deserve to be in the playoffs. Right. And then I want you to drive that car five spots better than it's running. That's all I want to do. I'm not I'm not saying win a race, run top three. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean you're seventeenth. I want you to say, how can I run twelfth today? <laughs> five points. Right. That's five, and I think the other ones might come back to him.
2: Do you think that's the conversation Matt McCall is having with him right now as they are the next 10 races to the I, I don't finale? know,
1: but I'm going to have it with – Maybe You're i get the have two it. of them together. Maybe I'll walk up in their truck in <laughs> Chicago yeah. and Set say, boys. Straight.
2: So this is a little embarrassing for me, Steve, because yesterday on NASCAR America, I said Daniel Suarez, who is 73 points out, had no chance. I agree with making. that statement. So, you, so you, it's, this is like driver-specific. You think it it's is, McMurray. It is.
1: Exp- it's, it's because Jamie McMurray, through the variety of the schedule over the summer. So I'm going to tell you why. Because the schedule in July and August is daunting. It's different tracks every week. It's no rhythm. The schedules have changed. There's two-day schedules. There's three-day schedules. There's all of these different things. It is a daunting task. And I believe that his experience level alone – will carry him. I feel his equipment from February to now has improved. So that's in his category. I think that Larson's going to start running better, which will force his teammate to start running better. Like, I think there are a lot of things in Jamie McMurray's corner. And maybe he'll just go in Daytona, and I could say, See ya! I told ya!
2: <laughs> that's certainly possible. He's but there before. I don't think
1: he needs to win. I think Jamie McMurray could do it on points. Okay.
2: And Daniel Suarez, 73 points out. William Byron, seventy-four points out. Those are the two drivers ahead of them. Neither of those guys, because as you said, th- this rough part of the season, this summer stretch, so, is so. Let's be for them.
1: let's be honest. William Byron, it doesn't matter if you make like, like he's in that car because it was the right business decision. And right. he's 18, 19 years old, right? Like like call me when he's 24, 24. Great kid, great. I'm not trying to knock him, but like let's just be honest, right? Like like you know you can't take the cookies out after two minutes in the oven. They're just pieces of dough. Like, they got to bake, they got to turn into cookies, right? He's going to turn into a heck of a race car driver. He's already a heck of a race car driver, but he's going to turn into a heck of a cup-level race car driver with experience. Daniel Suarez, I think much the same. He got thrown to the Wolves last year, a year earlier than probably anybody would have thought. So this is really like his rookie year. I think Daniel will do a wonderful job over time, but it's going to take time.
2: One more points guy for you. Newman is 87 points out. The next slot behind McMurray doesn't have the speed. He's got the experience, but maybe not the speed.
1: So Ryan Newman makes the playoffs with consistency and creative pit strategy by Luke Lambert. The lack of yellows in the final stage of all these races have killed their strength. Because their strength is to be creative, and you can't get creative when it comes down to two green flag pit stops. So, no, I don't think Ryan Newman okay. has the ability.
2: That was another point you made on NASCAR America that was interesting. Too much green flag racing. Obviously not something we well, can it's control. it's not too much. But, but it is, in a way, because, as you, as you said, I mean, you, you want the, the yellows to be natural, aside from stages, <sighs> but it does mix the field up, and it does give teams a chance to make more adjustments. Say, but right? I didn't say too much green flag racing. What I said <laughs> is... true. I'll, I'll give you that. The lack
1: of yellows is helping the dominant cars win the race and hurting the creative guys trying to mix up the field. Like I'm okay with watching it. What I watched at Sonoma was outstanding. Outstanding. It was a heavyweight fight. According to my man Gluck's post, everybody didn't like it.
2: I loved it. I thought it was probably one of the top three races of the year. That was outstanding. Just based on Cole Pern versus Rodney Childers. If you can't appreciate that, you don't know how to Watch
1: great races. You better write Cole Pern a tweet and Ronnie Childers a tweet and thank them that one of them was there. Because if you remove one of them, <laughs> wait me. <laughs> I mean, right? Because you yeah. like, yeah. it would have been a great battle. And that's, I think, the beauty. Listen, our drivers dominating? Yes. But it's not a driver, it's drivers. It's still a hell of a race. It's a right. great race. And I'll tell you, the race for the points is going to get heated. Let me tell you how this works. February, get you guys together. Boys, it's going to be a good year. We're going to Daytona. This is our year. You go to Daytona. You hit the West Coast Swing. You can't make changes because you're on the West Coast. I mean, I give you all the analogies you want. Can't make changes. We've got West Coast Swing. Right. Then you get home from the West Coast Swing. You got an off weekend. And you're like, all right, we're going to make some changes. We're going to get better. Then you blink and you've left Charlotte. Now it's Memorial Day weekend and you're not any better. Mm -hmm. And now you've had a couple pit penalties, an uncontrolled tire. You broke one motor. You had two flat tires, a loose wheel. And next thing you know, you're 19th in points. And you're like, oh, man, what am I going to do? And then you go to the first road course race. Oh, a change. Not, not an oval. <laughs> we're going to get him at the road course. We're just going to stay on track, not do anything great, you know. And Sonoma blinks. And guess what? The same guys that were beating you at the two mile tracks and the mile and a half tracks, they beat you there too. And that's when you wake up. And then you come home. And now you see on your counts, because now you're working on it, right? Now as a crew chief, I need to set up, set up. Daytona? Wait, we've already been there once. Oh, yeah, that's your second trip. And then at that moment. When you've seen Daytona for the second time, panic is setting in. That the playoffs are coming. That that light in the distance is either the end of the tunnel or a train. And you have nine weeks to decide what it's going to be. And I'm telling you, you you watch. The cautions are going to go up. They're not going to go up at the front of the field. But Alex Bowman, Jamie McMurray, William Byron, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Chase Elliott, Jimmy Johnson, I could give you all the names 11th through 18th, their patience, they're going to be frazzled. And when Jamie McMurray is trying to pass Bubba Wallace and Bubba's not giving enough space, finally so Jamie McMurray's going to snap and he's just going to move him, And we're going to start getting some yellows.
2: And right, This is how it works. And you made a good point on NASCAR America. You said, Stevie, that, that it's that this stretch essentially robs some playoff teams of having the chance to get better because none of these tracks – are coming again, except you know Kentucky, Chicago, or mile and a half, But we're going to see these only tracks in, again. Only in length. Right. <laughs> There's no – I mean, Watkins Glen is not going to get you ready for the Roval. Uh, I don't What's think. What's Indy going to help you on? Right. What's Pocono? Pocono and Indy don't translate, Michigan? really.
1: I'm swinging a miss. I got nothing for you.
2: Yeah, Darlington, no.
1: Bristol? Yeah, because that looks like so many other places.
2: So I got a question for you. On the flip side of all that, if you're Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Mar- even Martin Trex Jr., or their crew chiefs, after Kentucky, n- knowing – how well positioned they are, especially Bush and Harvick. Can you start working on your Miami car that early after you uh, get past you, the mile and a half tracks in the regular season and start thinking about that? So
1: the advantage is a great race team is not a Titanic. A great race team can pivot quickly. So I think you don't want to start that early. I think okay, when you say let's work on the Miami car, oh, what's well going to be an arrow, some sort of aerodynamic package, right? Well, that's still going to work at Watkins Glen and Indianapolis, and you know. So you, you aero develop, but what you can do is, if I'm a crew chief and I sit down, I have my notepad here, and I got, all right, I got this many guys and this many hours, and I got these engineers, you know. I'm going to go take Joe Smith over here, and all Joe's going to work on is the list of 20 development items we have in the wind tunnel, because I'm not panicked on how I'm going to run at Bristol, so I can peel one engineer out to work on long-term stuff. I think that's the difference, right? So it's not the Miami car, but it's the lack of day-to-day firefighting and panicking will allow you to continually build. That's why it's so hard to catch up in the sport because when you're behind, you know, we're going to work harder. Nope, because they're all working hard too. And actually the lack of panic allows them to work up maybe sometimes a little smarter. Like Jimmy Johnson and Chad Canals, if they find something right now in the wind tunnel, they're in the wind tunnel on Wednesday night at 6.30, and the guy says, man, this panel here makes three more counts. It's on the truck. Chad Canals has got to have that in Chicago. He has to have it. Right. So it's going to be not as well done as it should be. It's going to be installed average. It's going to be installed in front of people in the garage area. Now you're showing other teams what you're putting in, right? All negatives. Cole Pern might go, man, it's great stuff, great stuff. Go back a couple times, check it at this angle and this angle, and we're going to put it in the Pocono car.
2: He has that ability. What is the latest you ever pulled a car off a truck and made a change and put it back on and sent it to a track? Is there anything that really jumps out?
1: I have changed parts and pieces Thursday night at the hotel of the track we have flown to. Oh, really? (laughs) Wow. I mean, let's be honest. I have changed parts and pieces Friday mornings before practice. I have changed parts and pieces at Charlotte Sunday morning after practice
2: forever. How about this? Up
1: until it goes through inspection for the race, it's free game.
2: You get to a track. You're practicing at 11 a.m. Friday at Kansas. Team finds something Thursday, and they could overnight it if the truck's already on the uh, way out oh, there oh, right?
1: uh, let's go practice on friday yeah go back to my bus get a phone call we're in the wind tunnel hey look pull up report abcd i just emailed it to you you could do that to the car there oh yeah that's good stuff hey i sent these three parts with the pit crew guys you can't have it for saturday put it on for sunday adjust the sim just a little bit you'll be fine <laughs> absolutely
2: i think we lose sight of that how much traffic there is between Home base and the racetrack. Because you're right. You, you've got planes going back and forth all the time with pit crew members. And
1: Whatever it takes. Team. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Listen, there is a reason why this garage is so tough to win in. Because it is a garage front to back, top to bottom of people that are used to winning. They're used to being successful. They do not stand by at average. They battle. They fight. They dig. They claw. It is the most rewarding, most frustrating, the most challenging thing of my entire life was losing and winning at the cup level. Simple as that. There's there's nothing I have ever done that's so mentally exhausting. How there can be this many dysfunctional people in the world to try to do (laughs) what you're doing is remarkable.
2: (laughs) So that's a good transition to the fact that people can read about all the frustration and triumphs and successes that you experienced in your NASCAR career this week. Leading the way. Your new book about your 2011-15 to seasons with Dale Arnett Jr. came out. We had a thing tonight, Stevie, in um, NASCAR America where Dale Jr. remembered the 2005 win at Chicagoland. And what struck me about that was that came out of nowhere. Your five wins with Dale Jr., which are all in this book, leading the way, detailed to great extent. None of those seem like surprises, I guess, right? They didn't, but if I would have told you at the beginning of 2014
1: we were going to win four races no one would have gave us four races.
2: Right, because 2013 was winless.
1: You know, we were that team that everybody wanted to write about, and it was such a great story because he's the most popular driver, and we're friends, and we're having a good time. But, you know, when I announced I was leaving, we had won one race. one, A lot of close
2: calls. And everybody knows lame duck crew chiefs don't win.
1: You know, especially (laughs) media guys like Nate Ryan. (laughs) But my point is, though, but my point is, is the, the world was thirsting for Dale Jr.'s success so bad that they were thankful we were just close. Like, that's true. You know, like, we ran out of gas in 2011 at the 600, and everyone was ecstatic we were close. We led the closing laps at Martinsville. They were ecstatic, you know, like, they wanted him to be so successful. You know, I learned a lot in 2014. I learned that saying something and hearing something doesn't matter until you believe it in your heart and, and I used that with pressure for crew chiefs. Uh, Rick Hendrick never once threatened my job. Never once did he position it where I would be replaced. Gave me every tool ever to do my job. And yet I look back and question how scared I called those races for nine years. Until I had another job. Now, and you know me. It's pretty well documented. I'm kind of a gambler on top of the pit box. I'd be more aggressive. I really think retiring before stages was the dumbest thing I ever could have done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you would have everybody schooled i don't know if I'd have win the but man, coming.
1: think about all the, all the opportunities I would have had <laughs> um but until that year of truly just saying you know yeah. we're just gonna we're just gonna go like we didn't talk I mean you and I have had these conversations. we just literally went and had a great time and and then it all clicked.
2: I think your point about Dale junior's well taken because and when people read leading the way they're they're gonna see this, but you can look at the results. And see it as well. I mean, Daytona 500, you guys had finished second, what, in two of the three races, I think, prior to it?
1: We Yeah, the first year we were running third, had a flat with a caution with like six or eight to go. Right. Uh, got wrecked on the backstretch on the last restart. The, year before, the next year we ran second right. to Jimmy Johnson, maybe?
2: Yep, yep, 2013, right? Yep. And yep. then
1: the next year we ran second. No, no, 2012 we ran second
2: to? To
1: Kenseth. Kenseth maybe. Yes. 2013 we ran second to Jimmy Johnson. Yep. And 2014 we won.
2: Yeah, I think people understood that there was a narrative there that led into him winning the Daytona 500 in 2014. Same thing, you guys sweep Pocono in 2014. 2012 again, Reed leading the way, there's an entire chapter about yeah. how the 2012 <laughs> Pocono win got away from you guys. Yep. And again, I think as you as you talked about that engendered like all these good feelings for Dale Jr. finally breaking through. Martinsville Again, in the book, as I think there's a whole half a chapter devoted to 2011 yep. where Kevin Harvick took it away from him with yep. three laps to go. That was his race to win, and he finally won it in 2014.
1: I'm thankful to work with Jeff Gordon and Dale Jr., and I'm indebted to them both for very different reasons. But it's, uh, I'm fortunate to say that. You know, not everybody can. right. Some relationships just don't work out. I've had two great ones that worked out spectacularly. So it was just fun to relive. You know, Dale and I had this thought that when I retired, man, we were going to hang out so much more. And we never saw each other because right. he's a race car driver and I'm a TV guy and we're busy. So just reliving it excited me. For the I didn't know he was coming to NBC for all these years, but now that he's here, I'm excited to work with him again uh, because, man, we had so much fun. And that was really the idea. We just had fun competing.
2: Yeah, yeah. and now you're going to see him all the time. Now I'm going to see him all the time and tell weeks. the
1: fan, look, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait till the first time when he says, you know, Steve – I think right here I'd take four tires, and I was like, "Well, you were a good driver," and just kind of look at him like, <laughs> "You shouldn't pit right here, or there, <laughs> right, sir."
2: Right, I, I could have in this weekend. Could but yeah, and, and, and
1: you said it's all in leading the way. It's available. You go out and get yourself a copy. Um, if you come to the races, come out to the fanatics area and look around. We're going to sell them, and more importantly, I'm going to come out and hang out and hopefully sign them. This sport would be nothing without the people buying tickets. And I wanted to make sure they have the opportunity to say hello and and get a book signed.
2: What is the coolest comment or feedback you've gotten so far on the book?
1: So the coolest thing I saw is a friend of mine, former coworker Adam Jordan, sent a tweet. Let me give backstory. So Adam was an interior mechanic for a long time. Became very good friends with Dale as well. Uh, still see him all the time at the basketball league and some things. But he no longer travels. Married, nearing had a kid. One of those, one of the many young great young men that I've worked with that I've just kind of see raised working with me. And he saw the announcement and he sent a tweet, and I'm going to get it somewhat wrong, but it basically said, I am so thankful this book is out. I can't wait to re-read, to read it and relive how awesome all those years were. And to me, what I read from that was nothing more than those years were special to way more people than just me. And that was the coolest thing I've probably seen so far, is that he, you know, I could hear it. I could hear him saying it. It was just his genuine excitement to, to relive those moments. Remind me that those moments are special to more people than just me.
2: You can relive those moments if you're a number 88 fan. Leading the Way is the book, out this week. Again, com. You can get a free koozie if you buy it there. Go to amazon.com. You can go to barnesandnoble.com or you can just go to Fanatic's Tent at the racetrack like Steve said and buy it there. I'm a little bit biased but (laughs) I think it's good Listen,
1: what Nate hasn't told you in this whole thing is listen, Nate is an outstanding writer because he somehow wrote it as dysfunctionally as I would say it. (laughs) And he only used a few words in there that I don't understand.
2: <laughs> I tried to avoid it. Somebody asked me that. Does it sound like you or does it sound like Steve? I said, if it sounds like me, then I did it wrong. Carolyn Mano so. said,
1: "What she gave <laughs> us the best feedback. Is she said, you know, Stevie, I was reading this book and I could hear you telling me it. That's And I was like, man. That's it. And Nate did a heck of a job because it, there were a lot of fun stories. But it was good. It's going to be great. Listen, I'm excited to get back to the racetrack. I'm excited to cover some racing. It's time to go.
2: Love it. We'll have you back on here to talk some more book next time. Thanks for being here tonight and talking some NASCAR America. Sorry Stay. for all the edits. <laughs> it's all right. Again, the NASCAR America Debrief is available on Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating or review. And if you have any feedback, uh, you can send it to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan. Thanks for listening to NASCAR
0: America Debrief. <laughs>